Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom. Nathan Drinkard, I'm Jay Wise. Thanks for spending some of your time with us. As a reminder, we're on the Anchor app, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on so many other podcasting platforms. If you're looking for us in the video format, you can find that available to you at the A Drink of Wisdom YouTube channel. Check us out at all those locations and subscribe if you can. Uh, drink, as always, great to have you with us. It's been a whirlwind of a week. Great, man. Same here. Glad to be here um, for another tremendous Tuesday. We on the show um, doing our thing. What, what's going on over there with you and yours, man? Oh, a lot. A lot. Too much to get to, in fact, uh, in our in our short period of time. How's it going over there, man? It, you know, like you said, too much to get to, so let's get right <laughs> into it. Um, another day, another dollar. Let's get the streets what they need. Um, we're going to see what they don't. We're going to say what they want. Set your plates because you know it's time to eat. And last but not least, let's talk some sports, baby. Let's roll, Jay. All right, this is episode seven of season three where Aaron Rodgers rallies. We're going to talk vaccines in the NBA. And we're going to recap the weekend in college football. We begin with the Los Angeles Rams moving to 3-0 and with a 34-24 victory over the defending champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Matthew Stafford continues his fine play to start the season. He threw for 343 yards and four touchdowns. Deshaun Jackson had three catches for 120 yards and a long touchdown. Cooper Cup continued his fine play to start the, uh, the season. He had two touchdowns on nine catches for 96 yards. The Buccaneers uh, were down 34-17 at one point in this one. So Tom Brady had uh, 55 pass attempts. He threw for 432 yards. Uh, just one touchdown through the air. He did have a quarterback sneak for a touchdown. Uh, big numbers in the receiving game. Mike Evans had eight catches for 106 yards. Six for 74 for Chris Godwin. And Giovanni Minard out of the backfield had nine receptions for 51 yards. And he scored a touchdown. Drink, um, it's still fairly early in the season. But the, uh, how do you feel about the Rams in this sense? Do, do you believe they're the best team in football right now? I think right now you, you kind of got to put it that way. Um, what else have we seen that make us think otherwise? Um, uh, we, I, if you want to say they're not the best team in, in, in the NFL, you okay, it might be an argument there, depending on you, how you look at all 32 teams. But I think it's pretty clear they're the best team in the uh, NFC for sure. I think right now they are the best team in the NFC. If you want to, you know, squint your eyes and say, hey, just show some love to the Las Vegas Raiders in the AFC and, and that, or the AFC, you know, um, West Division as a whole, okay, I ain't mad at that. But I think as far as the NFC go, I think the Rams is the creme de la creme right now. And, um, you know, listen, let's, let's talk about it. Hey, this is this is a possible um, – re well, a possible matchup in the future for the NFC Championship. I think we we both, in some variation, got you know either the Bucks in the in the Final Four or the Rams in the Final Four. It, it looks as if we can possibly get both of them, and let's get it on in a rematch sometime in January. Um, so I I think as a confidence booster right now for the Rams, especially you know with everything they went through in the off season, uh, you know trading Jared Goff to to the Lions to get Stafford. Um, I think this this probably the best start you you can ask for. You lost Cam Akers. I know a lot of um, encouragement got deflated when Cam Akers went down. You went out and got Sony Michelle. You get a, pre a pleasant surprise in Derek uh, Derek Henderson. Um, and now and now it seems like Sony Michelle seems to be catching his footing now. He's he's getting in the mix there. 
Um, so once he up and running, and then what what can you say? Matthew Stafford is maximizing what he got going with 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 Coop. I mean, sorry, with Cup, um, Woods, Deshaun Jackson, um, you know, Tyler Higby and crew. Um, so. Uh, and, and that's without a max effectiveness of the run game. That's just getting a little sprinkle of the run game. Offensive line seemed like they holding their own. And listen, the Bucks was one of the top defenses. They were the top defense against the run last year. They don't seem to be be clicking on that cylinder right now. And, but they was one of the top defenses overall. We seen that in the Super Bowl. And and the Rams, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, cut right through the, the fluff here. Um. Matthew Stafford was phenomenal. He he shredded them up. Um, I can't give him enough kudos for what he's doing right now in the Rams uniform. And and, I, and you just made the point, and I wanted to make sure I, you know I give you your your credit due as of now. You said you think it's a, it's a high chance that Matthew Stafford is probably leading the MVP vote. I the, the only other quarterback that's playing right now that I think can fight him for. You know, number one in MVP voting right now is Derek Carr, the Las, uh, Las Vegas Raiders. I think both of those guys are having phenomenal starts to their years right now. So I think that's one and two, however you want to do it. But I think those two guys are one and two in, in the voting. And I'm pretty sure probably Derek Henry hanging around somewhere here because he just literally carrying the Titans on his back. So um, to, to that credit, let's talk about the defending champs a little bit. Hey, hey, man. This game came down to two things for me with, with, with the Bucks: They lack of run game, and then they lack of being able to just stop the Rams when they needed to. The Rams pretty much marched up and down the field. But, man, hold up. Bring that back, man. Let, let's look at these dudes, man. I, I know you brought them up. Yo, Leonard Fournette, when, when he supposed to be a change man? Ron, Ronald Jones? And then you brought in the, the ultimate third back accessory in, in Giovanni Bernard. And you get 35 yards. That, that's what you got. 35 yards total on 13 attempts from them, those three running backs. That's not going to cut it, man. That's not championship football right there. That's that's not going to cut it. Then another another thing that, that you know, kind of, you know, as I'm, you know, looking at this, the Rams got one penalty for four yards. That's it for the game. And I know people don't look at penalty yards and they're like, oh, who gives a rip? If, if you're playing the, in, the, in the NFL, you give a rip because that shows a very well-coached team. And for all the people that said, hey, Sean McVay washed up. They didn't caught up with him. They washed up. No, nah, Sean McVay just, he needed another quarterback. That's all it was. He needed another quarterback and he got one. Whereas when I look at the Bucks, they had seven penalties for 41 yards, which is not terrible. That's not terrible. But when you play in a team that seems to not make those mistakes, it, it, it does highlight the fact that you got those seven penalties for 41 yards. Um, but like I was saying, listen, you had Justin Jackson. I mean, why well, I said Justin. You had Deshaun Jackson out there, three receptions for 120 yards. Um, yeah, that, that'll work. Um, Cooper Cup, nine receptions for 96 yards and two, t two touchdowns. Deshaun Jackson had one. Yep, yep, that'll work. Hey, when you got Robert Woods got here trailing in in third with three receptions for 33 yards and you still putting up the numbers you put up, hey, man, listen. And 
for the people that say, well, Tom Brady put up 432 yards and Matthew Stafford only put up 343 yards. But Matthew Stafford had four touchdowns and Tom Brady had one. So you can miss me with that. Point blank is this, Jay. Here's the deal. The Bucks defense has to get better. It has to get back in form, the same form they had last year, right? And that running game, oh, my God. They must got this running game transplanted from the Jets or something. Because this is not – that ain't the running game we seen out of the defending champs last year. This running game is god-awful. Like, I don't know if that's <laughs> Leonard Fournette or Eric Fournette, but, like, this is awful. Ronald, Ronald Jones, the fifth. Because I know he's supposed to be the third, but he running the ball like he just drunk a fifth. That's Ronald Jones the fifth out there. All right? And then you brought in Giovanni Bernard because you can see what he do on third downs, and he's still in Cincinnati. This is not going to work. This is not going to work, Bucks. So, for, for everything Bruce Arians say and get him fired up, I know, you know, we're not hungover. They got to do something. Because I – I don't know if it's the offensive line or what, but it's the same offensive line from last year, so it shouldn't be a problem. Listen, you brought back all 22 starters. We rant, we raved about that. We expect a better performance than this. When you're playing the upper echelon of the NFL, this cannot be a trend right here. You can't just beat up on the low lights, and then when you get into the bright lights, you out here, oh, I can't see y'all lights too bright. Uh, no, no, that's, that's not going to be good enough. So... With that said, man, my, my biggest takeaway of the, of this game was the Rams seemed to be prime and ready to go. You know, seemed to be one half of the NFC championship picture. And the Bucks, if they want to be the other half, they got to fix that run game. And, and they, got, they got to control the line of scrimmage a lot better than they did against the Rams. The Rams kind of flopped around on them out there. And that's not going to cut it. But, hey, it's only three weeks in. We don't have to hit the panic button. But those was my takeaway from that game. Yeah, I think um, appreciate appreciate the love on the MVP thing. That was just a quick thought I had before the show. You know, I, I quickly went through and just um, you know did a just a little bit looking at the comparison because I think D Derek Carr is right in there as well. He's been he's been great to start the season. Uh, the Raiders have been a pleasant surprise. Um, Derek Carr is averaging about 400 yards passing. It's, he's lead, he's lapping the field in passing yards right now. Six touchdowns, two interceptions. Stafford's at nine to one right now. The difference is, you know, I don't know how much, you know, take take this QBR stat for what it's worth. But um, in, in terms of that, there, uh, Matthew Stafford is first in QBR at 82.6, which is on a zero to 100 scale. And in a quarterback rating, he's at he's second in quarterback rating at almost a, one, a 130 clip, which is just off the charts. Amazingly, Russell Wilson is at 134. But Wilson's QBR is 55.6. Derek Carr is 10th in QBR right now at 60.3 for whatever for whatever that's worth. Now keep but keep in mind now, Stafford is throwing to Woods, Coop, Jackson, and, and Higby. You know, Russell Wilson throwing to Lockett, DJ Metcalf, and whoever they got playing the tight end. Where Derek Carr is throwing to Ruggs and Waller. And I don't even know who else he throw to. Them two guys. You know what I'm saying? So I, 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 I think you gotta throw that in the mix with you know with the numbers. But I, I got you. I got you. I think and just just to, to close at that point, I think the what we're seeing from Stafford is more sustainable than what we're seeing from Derek Carr. That's just my gut feeling. I feel like I've seen this this film from the Raiders before. But anyway, I don't want to waste too much time on something that's 
not, not really within the subject, but that's just a quick talk on the very early season MVP race, how we see it in regards to this game. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta agree with you. The, the, the Rams, I mean, they, they just, they just was quite simply a superior team. Um, th- th- you remember the Bucks last year? We thought they may have some weaknesses. One of them was in their secondary. Um, they were able to keep it patched together pretty good. This year, I think it's, it's the injuries have definitely played a part. Uh, but you're seeing you're seeing some busted coverages. You had Deshaun Jackson beat you for a long touchdown. It was nice to see that. Uh, we missed seeing that in Philadelphia. You know, or where I don't even know. I can't keep track of where this guy's been. He's been on so many teams lately. But we haven't seen a lot from Deshaun Jackson lately. It's always it's a it's always a hamstring injury or something else. But um, you got Cooper Cup. You got Robert Woods. Don't forget about this guy Van Jefferson either. He's in the mix as well with four catches. You know, the second year guy out of Florida, I believe. Uh, Sony Michelle stepped in yesterday or in this game, you know, was more of a bell cow for you. You didn't have Daryl Henderson, but now you had, but you do have a, a, you know, two backs that you can rely upon. I think the biggest thing, the most impressive thing about this is, and in the big picture, this is Sean McVay looks great right now because I think what you have was, this is a guy who had Jerry Goff at one point looking like an MVP candidate. Now we both, now we both agree that this was, that that offense at the time was more centered on Todd Gurley and what he could do for you on the ground. But nevertheless, people were talking about Jared Goff in that, in that same breath of being at the, that caliber of a player. Now you fast forward a couple of years down the road after that Super Bowl appearance. And I think Sean McVay realized that I don't think this is quite it. I think we, we might have to get a little bit better under center. And to his credit, they, the, the Rams make this move. They say, okay, that guy in Detroit, we can bring him here and he can succeed in this system that we have. And they've been absolutely right. This is a home run. And this is, this may be one of the best transactions that we've seen in the past decade. Or, you know, I know there's, I may be speaking a little bit in hyperbole, but this is, this is a monumental success right now. And they're exceeding expectations in every way. And it's also an indictment against the Detroit Lions organization who wasted this guy away for years, never gave him outside of Calvin Johnson, never gave him requisite weapons, and never could build a successful team around this guy. Three, I mean, and this is, it's one of those situations where Matthew Stafford has come in and there hasn't been a, there really hasn't been a learning curve. There hasn't been, you know, a point where we say, oh man, off to a little bit of slow start, we understand, but they'll get better as the season goes along. If they're going to get better as the season goes along, well, good luck to the to the National Football right. League because these guys are these guys are firing on all cylinders right now. So, in the big picture, I, I'm thoroughly impressed with impressed with the Los Angeles Rams, um, and I'm impressed with Sean McVay too. I've been a little bit critical of him the past few years, but I think he deserves a boatload of credit in this instance. And he's got these guys playing great, and I love the emotion. I love the emotion that he's showing on the sideline. You know. I, I don't. I, I was more focused on the Broncos Jets game because just as a Broncos fan, but I saw. I think it was uh, before halftime. I think the Bucks missed a field goal or something. And this guy's just jumping all around and just. He looked like looked like they won the game right there the way he was acting. But I'm. I, I like seeing that. I like seeing that from him. For the Bucks, don't want to panic too too, uh, too early here. And I, you know, you're two and one. You lost to a great football team on the road. These are two of the, you know, no doubt the upper echelon teams. But I do got to be critical. of of you know one at least one point and you touched on it as well ba- balance matters in the national football league i really think it does from an offensive standpoint 
And when you get in a situation where you're just dropping back to pass every time, you're letting defenses off the hook. This is what I crushed the Dallas Cowboys on repeatedly, at least lately. I think they've been a, a bit better with it the last couple of weeks. Um, but the Bucks fell into this trap of like, well, I mean, it's the Rams. It's Aaron Donald. So I guess we just don't give up on a run game before it even starts. I think that's a I think that's a terrible thing to do. I, I'm a little bit I think we got to be a little bit disappointed in Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich for that. And I mean, this is a the, the Bucks are a physical football team as well. You know, we talked about in terms of, you know, what they were able to do to Green Bay last year, how they were able to dominate the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, up front in the Super Bowl. They got they got Leonard Fournette. They got Ronald Jones and they have a they have an offensive line, especially in the middle. Those guys are built to, you know, just get off the line of scrimmage and push people backwards. And I think you're doing those guys a little bit of disservice when you talk about these Russian statistics. And they're even worse than that because your running backs in this game, they had nine carries for 19 yards. It's worse than the four, than the 13 for 35. So that's I think that's completely inexcusable. And I think that's something you got to get corrected moving forward because I know Tom Brady's playing great. Um, you know, he, it appears that he's never going to quit playing football, but the guy remains, he's 44 years old or whatever. So you don't want to put him in a situation where he's just continuing to drop back time after time and defenses don't have to account for the run game. So they're just teeing off on, on the pass rush moves from the jump because they don't believe they have to account for the run game. I think that's a mistake. And I think over time, Tom Brady may pay a price uh, at some point for it. So that, I think that's got to be a point of emphasis. And again, it's not like they don't have talent in the backfield. Fournette and Jones are good, a good, a good running back. But you have to allow these guys, you know, to get some reps and get the and get the football. And you know how you know how the running game works. You know, these one or two and three yard carries. That's that's sometimes how it goes early on in a football game. But as you impose your will on the defense, those runs become, you know five, six, seven yards as the game goes along. That's just how the running game is. Coaches have to recognize that, pay attention to it, and stick with it. And I think that's a big mistake they made in this game. All right, so staying in the NFL, you know what time it is. It's time for us to recap the action from Sunday. So we got it all over the place. Jay, take it away. I think the first one that stands out uh, after the, you know, what we talked about in the opening segment is uh, – Green Bay, what they were able to do, uh, winning on the road in San Francisco, a team that you remember a couple years ago, um, just mopped the floor with them on two occasions, dominated dominated them in the line of scrimmage on both sides, um, including in that uh, NFC Championship game. Um, so it, it was good to see that they were able to, you know, fight through adversity on the road. That's been a criticism of Aaron Rodgers lately. Um, he doesn't necessarily play as well on the road as he does at home and, you know, the comfortable confines of uh, Lambeau Field. So, um, you know, to go out there to, to San Francisco, get a, get a win on the road, I thought it was very important. I thought it was impressive. You know, had to drive down very late, kick a game winning field goal after the 49ers took the lead in that one. Um, so that was impressive. Um, outside of that, I have to say um, there's some teams that you got to be a little bit concerned about. Seattle among them, you know, you're playing in that um, – that very competitive NFC West, um, you can get behind in there very quickly because we've seen, we've seen, we know how well the Rams are playing. We see the Cardinals, they're off to a very nice start. Uh, we know the 49ers, they just lost the game, but we still consider them to be a factor. Uh, Seattle right now, you have to look at them and just say, what, what is this? You, you were up, you know, 
you were you were up two scores last week against the Tennessee Titans, and let and yet you let a running back. I know he's you know perhaps the best running back in football, but you let Derrick Henry lead the comeback charge. That's not generally how that works. You know, generally teams throw the ball to come back, but in Mike Vrabel's case, you know, he's like he looks at Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, and he's like, ah, uh, yeah, just just give the ball to Derrick Henry, we'll be fine. So you have that going on. You lose that game in overtime, and in Minnesota. Drink, we was talking about how Dalvin Cook was going to be a big factor in this one. He ain't even played. It was Dalvin <laughs> Cook Jr. and Alexander <laughs> Matson, you know, that comes out there. And he's a he's a good player. But I, see, I just don't understand how. I don't mean, Minnesota, Minnesota, we were looking at them in the first two weeks and saying, what are they doing? Right. And, you know, their, their defense, you know, we talked about, we know last year, like their defense lost a lot of veterans, particularly in the secondary. Right. Now, now you, they lost Anthony Harris in this offseason. I'm not really seeing where they got better, and yet they shut out this pretty potent Seattle offense in the second half. So if I'm if I'm if I'm Pete Carroll, if I'm Russell Wilson, if I'm the GM, like I'm wondering, like we got to get this thing corrected, and we got to get it corrected quickly, because that's a division that's going to be highly competitive, and even with the extra wild card, I mean, you you don't want to be in last place because remember we talked about that. Like, is it hey, is it possible for every team in the division to make it? Well, yes but uh, probably unlikely. So that's not what they need to be looking to do. They got to get better. And I think they got to get better quickly with, uh, with the division that they play in. Another thing I got, I, I have to say, and I don't like to waste time on teams that don't matter, but I feel, I feel bad for the city of New York. I really do. You got five teams at this particular moment in time that are 0 and 3 by my count. And two of them are in the nation's or, or in New York city. Uh, we know the jets are just, we know the Jets are awful. I don't. I think we kind of expected that drink, because they're just yeah. they're just not very good. And then you have you know some of the injuries um, that they had. Just seemed like every show is like, oh, we got another dude that tore something up. We got okay, this dude. He's now he's out for a while. P- poor Robert Sala. We over here, you know, working on a tombstone, and he didn't coach three games. And meanwhile, but on the other side, like the Giants, you know, drink last year the Giants start off zero and six. And then they went six and five to close the season. And that's looked at as a, you know, just a marvelous accomplishment for them and get they back to the same old, same old, they own three. Uh, and I, you know, you lose to Denver. I think Denver's a solid football team. I mean, you lose to Washington by a field goal, you know, they, you know, one, one offsides penalty away from getting that when we get it. I was critical of them last week on that. I think they lost to the Falcons. The Falcons, the Falcons are terrible. The Falcons are terrible. And the Falcons, the Falcons got their doors blown off by Philadelphia in week one in a battle of the uh, have-nots because neither of those teams are very good. So I'm just – I'm not surprised that the Jets stink. And I'm really not surprised that the Giants aren't good. But I really think 0-3, Daniel Jones, this is his third season, I think. You brought in Kenny Galladay. I think Sterling Shepard's been playing very well. Saquon Barkley is, I mean, he's not hurt yet, so we have that. Well, he might as well be hurt. Yeah, I mean, like, I ain't wishing no injury on the young fella, but, I mean, he's playing like he hurt. But that's the, yeah, I'm just, I I can't, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little surprised the Giants are this bad, and they're just, they're not, these, I mean, these are the past two weeks, they've been in the game, but, like, a well, if you, if you look at coaching and I mean, it's Joe Judd, I'm paying attention to guys who like they get hired and I'm like, 
what the special teams coach that coached wide receivers for one year and the you mean the wide receivers group that like couldn't get separation from me or you i got i'm just saying i got to keep an eye on things like that so those are my initial thoughts over to you brother all right, so uh, I got a quick hitter for three games, the first of which Cincinnati Bengals beating the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Here's the deal. I think the Steelers are in trouble. Um, no more of the days of, oh, this ironclad defense and Big Ben going to do enough. Big Ben ain't doing enough. Um, yeah, that, that arm can't push down the field, and that offensive line can't make a hole for Najee Harris or anybody. They can't make a hole for Najee Harris, Karan Harris, Kevin Harris or John Harris, like that that offensive line is terrible. Um, who, who are they? Who are they? Are they actual players? Yeah, they. Oh, you talking about the names? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, some, some, uh, some. You know what I'm saying? So, some work at your local Lowe's, and some was actually on the NFL roster. You figure it out. But, <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, man, that, that offensive line not opening up for the run game, and if the Bengals can ball the Steelers up. Imagine what everybody else can do, I guess. Right. Um, Especially in that division, so, yeah. In, yeah. So, yeah, man, I, I think the Steelers in trouble, so I wanted to hit on that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on my Derek Carr swing right now. My Derek Carr uh, promotion, um, you know, tour over here. I'm, I'm give, you know, giving it up for him. Um, beat the Dolphins 31-28 in overtime. Um, now you might ask yourself, why in the hell did they have to go into overtime with the Dolphins? Hey, man, don't sleep on the Dolphins. The Dolphins are not New York teams. They're not Jacksonville. They're actually a well-put-together team. They just got to figure it out under the center. But either way, uh, you know, shots out to the Raiders. And honestly, shots out to the Dolphins. I mean, yeah, you lost. But, I mean, listen, it could always be worse there. Dolphin fans. And then the, the last game I wanted to hit on, um, uh, last night's game, uh, Dallas Cowboys versus Philadelphia Eagles. Um, listen, Cowboys came in there and blew the doors off the Eagles. I'm telling you right now. If you're getting your doors blown off by the Cowboys, you're in trouble. If the Cowboys <laughs> is over there hitting you with the Madden special, the 21 Skunkarooski, you're in trouble. All right? <laughs> Philadelphia, you're in trouble. Now, I got it. The Dallas Cowboy offense is pretty hard to stop. I got it, especially when Zeke is on his game, Pollard on his game. I mean, Cooper Cooper was a non-issue last night, but does it really matter? No. You got C.D. Lamb. He out there doing his thing. What's his name? Dawson Schultz? I mean, yeah. this cat, he coming out here doing this thing. Uh, you still got Blake Jarrett now. He good for at least two or three catches a game. Um, and then the offensive line didn't look so bad without Lyle Collins. Now, <laughs> Eagles did not have Brandon Graham, and it was kind of noticeable. I mean, every now and then they did get in now on Dak, but that's you know, I, I you know Dak sometimes holds the ball too long. He he, he don't he don't want to really use his legs for whatever reason, and I think that that hurts him. Um, but my biggest takeaway from the game is this: Eagle fans, you thought you was back, huh? Oh, you see what we did to the Falcons? But when you play a real team, what do you really do? Jalen Hurts, um, he it was a rough night for him last night. I do think bigger things can, you know, will come for him. That Jalen Rager cat, he, look, I, I heard somebody on Twitter say he ain't got no juice. I'm with him. He ain't got no juice. Somebody need to get this dude some type of, um, you know, mobile battery pack or something because I don't know what the hell he was doing out there last night. Um, so with that said, 
if you get smoked by the Cowboys in 2021, you're probably not that good. So we need to <laughs> tone down the, the expectations on the Eagles. So those was my three takeaways from this, this Sunday, Jay. All right, so heading over to the NBA, our favorite subject, it seems like now, COVID-19 yes. vaccinations yes. or whatnot, unvaccinated, vaccinated, don't really matter. Um, but today, we, you know, uh, we, we had some NBA staffers that um, came out in an ESPN article and said, hey, listen, we vaccinated. We don't feel comfortable being with, you know, mixed up with the unvaccinated. Um, we got some comments out of LeBron James. We got some comments out of Bradley Bill and et cetera. So with that said, um, what's going on with the NBA right now? Why, why are they pitching a the fit over COVID all of a sudden? Why, why, why the vaccinated don't like the unvaccinated and vice versa? This is a racket. That's uh, that, that's yeah. In three words, that's the bottom line of it. Here you have um, and look. Let me just give. Let me just say, you know, I I have some sympathy with the um, you know, these team staffers or these team employees who are required to be vaccinated, and it, it appears that they just don't have a good union. The NBA Players Association has like came out and said, "Look, we're not starting the a, a mandatory vaccination policy is a non-starter in you know whatever negotiations they have between themselves and the league." So that's where that's where the issue is. The you know the the, the league officials, maybe some of the uh, front office guys, um, employees that work in these arenas, they don't have the union. That, that that's bringing the juice and like fighting some of these mandates. So that's, so I get where they're coming from of that, because I do believe there's something to be said for, well, if I got to do this and I, you know, why, why don't, why don't the players have to do it? I get it. Um, my, my thing is, I don't think any of it should, I don't think it, we should have uh, these type of mandates anywhere. And I'm, I'm just, but I'm, but the, the bigger picture to where, you know, you let us in um, if you're vaccinated, um, what risk does an unvaccinated person pose to you? Like, what, what, what is the big deal? If you got the vaccine and you believe in the vaccine, then you should feel protected because that's the whole point of the vaccine. So you should feel fine just going around living your life, you know, interacting with whoever. Um, and that, that's the whole point. That's why we, you know, Operation War Speed, you know, through all types of money at it, we, you know, put every uh, public and private resource into trying to, you know, figure out a solution. And, and yet we're going on, we're going on, it's getting close to, you know, these vaccines being out, you know, it won't be long, it'll be a year that they've been out. And yet somehow the situation continues to deteriorate on multiple fronts. And these vaccines are starting to turn into more of a, a, a little bit in some respects, more of a curse than a blessing because we, we drink, we, I hate to keep harping on this point, but we were led to believe, get the vaccine, we get enough people vaccinated, we can go back to normal. That's what this, that's what all this is about. People, and I, I can't imagine there's a, a big subset of people who are happy with going out with, you know, going in, out in public and having to cover their face while at the same time taking the vaccine. I can't imagine that's something that people are enjoying. And yet, I mean, 
the NBA, I'm looking at this right here. It says they're at about what 90% drink. I don't know. Like that's gotta be, I don't know what the percentage is on herd immunity. And I know that's like a unpopular thing to talk about. And maybe it's like taboo or something, but I think 90% is, is pretty good. And it's probably, I mean, you get to a point drink, like, and we've, we've known this, I think for months now, like, there's plenty of people are going to get it for whatever reason, you know, and it's becoming less and less of a choice in a lot of different, you know, um, sex of society. And that's including in, in, uh, in included is the uh, professional sports. We're seeing that. And so, I mean, but as you continue, you know, as the numbers rise, there, there there's only so much farther, you can get because some people are, are just not going to get this for whatever reason. Um, some of them valid, some of them, I think extremely valid reasons, whereas whether it's medical, whether it's not medical, where it's anything, I don't much really care what the reason is. I just think people should have the right to do, uh, people should have the right to choose what medicine they take. And, you know, some of these, I'm reading some of the, through some of these quotes in these ESPN and stories. Um, one of them, I'm, I'm trying to look for them, you know, right now I'm having trouble finding it, but, Somebody, there was something in here that said, I'm, I'm having trouble finding it right off the top, top of my head or on, on one of these stories. But basically there was a, uh, I think there was a head athletic trainer that I read that said, um, these are no longer um, private health decisions. These are in fact, public health decisions. Drink, that's about the biggest crock I've ever heard in my life. That, that, that's it. That's ridiculous. That, that is foolish. I know I read it in here somewhere. I couldn't find it just now, but that was a, that was a direct line of thinking that I saw drink. That is something that we should absolutely reject wholeheartedly. These are in no way, shape or form public health decisions. And if they are, I really missed the, I really missed the light switch that got flipped to where, because we, we haven't done this for anything else. Drink. Nobody's going out here and getting their little uh, flu shot stickers said, hey, I got the flu shot this year, you know, and wearing their little flu shot necklaces or saying, um, you know, I got, um, you know, when I, went to, when I went to Japan, I didn't get my smallpox sticker vaccine or say, hey, I got my third dose of the anthrax shot this week, like really, really cool. No one does this on anything else. This is a new phenomenon as it relates to the coronavirus vaccine. And... And I and I, I will say on the front of like, we, we have society, we have allowed ourselves to become very comfortable with just talking about our vaccination status, which I don't, I don't care for that. But that is that is what we've allowed to happen. And now people are saying are, try, are like really comfortable with that and saying, Oh, well, yeah, these are public health decisions. No, they're not. We just allowed them to be. But these medical decisions still are centered on the rights of the individual. And I've said this, I've said this in written form. I'll say it out loud here. Drink, if we don't have the right to control what medicine we take, then what power do we have? Because now you're losing control of really truly the only thing, one of the only things you can control, which is your own body. And I, I think that's something that should be very troubling for all of us. I do also want to point out to one of the, um, one of the individuals who's somewhat under the microscope, which is uh, Golden State Warriors forward Andrew Wiggins, who appears to not want the vaccine, but he plays for the Golden State Warriors, which means he's in San Francisco. And that is one of the 
you know, for lack of, a, a, you know, maybe, maybe not the most appropriate term here, but that's an authoritarian place right now. They ha- they are not allowing any exemptions um, for any reason whatsoever for anybody over the age of 12, I believe, to be vaccinated because um, that's what the FDA has ruled on the Pfizer vaccine, which I can't believe. I hope that's getting challenged left and right. I hope lawyers are all over this and they and they sue the city for this nonsense. I, I, I just, I can't imagine that's something that's happening in this country, but it is. And now you have Wiggins in a situation where you know, if he doesn't get the vaccine, I'm pretty sure what we're looking at is he not he's not going to be able to participate in home games. So which is odd, because let me t- let me look, think of it like this. It, and it goes back to the point where, like, if everyone else is vaccinated, let's just say you have twenty five thousand people that come to a game in uh, at the Chase Center. And Andrew Wiggins is the only person that's not vaccinated. I think we're going to be fine, drink. I really do. I think uh now I do. Now we'll say you do have breakthrough cases. We've seen it. We saw it with the New Orleans Saints coaching staff. They had uh, eight eight coaches test positive. I'm wondering about that. I'm not saying the vaccines are a little faulty, but I am going to say when you have eight coaches from the same coaching staff test positive in the same amount of time, I think we should ask questions and say, hmm, how, how did how did this happen? Like you know. You know, you got you got a supposedly 100 percent vaccination status from the whole coaching staff. You know, we went through the numbers in a previous episode where uh, the GM was like, oh, yeah, we're going to be, you know, in, uh, 80 or 90 percent or whatever it was about a regular season. So, I mean, that team is at a hurt is at herd immunity, um, in my view, in my non-medical opinion. So I, I just the bottom line, I think this is just foolish and we're just we're just so divided on something that really should not be so public. And I think God, like, you know, if, if you haven't taken the vaccine, so what at this point, I think we're getting to a point where, you know, and and you'll notice this, if you listen to public officials, like, you know, the, the, the number that accept that is acceptable is it used to be what 75, 80%. Like, Hey, I think that's the point we need to make. And I get like, you know, I don't know what we are now. It's a couple of weeks ago, we were at like 55% fully vaccinated. Uh, but you also have to consider like the people who are, are available to take the vaccine, you know, because it's not approved for everybody under a certain age. So if you take that into account, it was like in the, the low to mid sixties. And then you have to also account for, well, how many people have had COVID and recover from COVID? You probably can, those, those people have a level of um, protection against the virus too. You have to take that in consideration. I think we're in good shape, but now you just have a do. You just had the president come out and say, after he gets the 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 old booster shot. Well, you know, I think actually, I think we need to get to ninety seven and ninety eight percent. Really, you talk about moving the goalposts. We're moving them right. a considerable amount. I, when we get, I, you know, what what if we get to ninety seven percent? Are we going to have to get a to a hundred and one percent? And if so, how would we even go about doing that? So I. I you know, I, I know it's a very simplified uh, statement to open up, but I'll just close where I began. This is a racket, and I don't get it at all. I can't disagree with your point. That um, this seemed like some, uh, shall I say, Tom Fuller, but hold up. We talking about COVID-19, so we can't undermine what this virus is doing to people. The pandemic and it shut down the country. Yeah, it's still... FDA now approved Pfizer. Um, 
all the professional leagues will tell us that hey, we about we're gonna be like ninety percent. Let's go. Here's my problem with all this. Instead of us talking about fans returning to the NBA game, because you you see the greatness we got in baseball and football, and, mm-hmm. you know, Without. with the fans back, you know, football and, stadiums are lit. Football stadiums lit. Baseball stadiums lit. Everybody ratings have went through the roof since fans have returned back to the game. So I'm sitting here waiting to hear, oh, can't wait to have the fans back in here. We're going to have the stadium at max capacity. I, I mean, not stadium, arena. And I understand. In basketball, that is an indoors arena. I got it. You're going to run into more restrictions than you will an outside stadium. Yet and still, I'm fine with hearing, hey, we're going to be at 75% capacity. Okay, let's go. Let's do it. Instead, I got to hear LeBron James defend his point. I got to hear Bradley Bill defend his point. I got to hear Andrew Wiggins defend his point. The poor popcorn man got to defend his point. This is like, it just comes to a point where I'm like, what? Is the, the NBA news cycle a little dry? Is that what's going on here? Oh, because why? I just, I just don't get it. Like, if Andrew Wiggins decides that he's not going to get vaccinated, which is his right, well, so be it. I watched the Lakers play a whole season with um, uh, KCP on, like, he was on, like, parole or something. Like, he couldn't play. I'm not. I'm not even making this up. This happened right. like three, probably like three years ago, I think. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. He he couldn't play road games because he was on probation and he right. couldn't leave the state. Wow. He couldn't leave the state. Remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and they made it through that season with him being on parole. The next season, you know, everything went back to normal. I'm I'm saying that not not to beat up on Carwell Pope, but what I'm saying is, Golden State can survive if. Wiggins can't play home games. Will it suck for the Golden State fans? Yes. You got a guy, you paying the guy a lot of money, and you can't even go watch him play live. I got that. However, this is bigger than, you know, what you know what the fans think. If he does not want to get the vaccination, so be it. He, he plays, like you said, he plays in a state that ain't messing around. They're very strict on their rules. And that's what it is, you know. It is what it is. Um, same thing with Kyrie. I guess Kyrie got the same thing. He's gonna run into the same issue in New York. Right. So be it. Like Kevin Durant, he's like, okay, if you don't play, that's his choice. Like, whatever. We're gonna figure it out. We're gonna play these games, man. He can't play, he can't play. So my whole point of this is we listen, we need to move on from this. I wanna talk about the fans come back. I wanna talk about the juice flowing again. I wanna talk about the energy in the in the arenas. I I wanna talk about what the Lakers gonna look like opening day? What the what the Nets gonna look like opening day? I want to talk about the fact that you know the Nets and the Lakers and now the Nuggets and Golden State are the only four teams with three max players on the roster. Let's talk about that. Instead, we over here talking about hey, well, uh, you know, I just want to keep that private. Oh no, you can't keep that private. We need to know. Like I'm, I'm just, what are we doing here? I don't give a rat's ass. If Bradley Bill goes and gets vaccinated, I don't. Let me tell you what I care about. If Bradley Bill decides he want to leave the Wizards and go to another team, that's what I care about. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't care that Andrew Wiggins can't play home games. 
Let me tell you what I do care about. If you ever live up to that max contract so I can have something to talk about. That, that's what I want. You know, that's what I'm into. That's what I'm interested to, uh, interested in. Listen, respect people's choices. That's all I'm saying. Respect their choices. And for the players, as this keeps continuing, when the NBA dropped the hammer, which I'm feeling like they will here soon, and they say if you're not vaccinated, you won't be able to play no games or you won't be able to do this, that, and third or whatever the restriction going to be, just prepare yourself for that. Remember that. You made the choice not to get vaccinated. Please prepare yourself for the consequences. Let's talk about something else, folks. Let's, you know, me and Jay, we've we, we been making a good, you know, good living, per se, not necessarily <laughs> living, but we've been making, you know, taking up the nice, airtime. Right, all right, we've been filling up the airtime. That's a better way of putting it. Um, with COVID, so we're not gonna sit. I'm not gonna sit here and like, I don't want to talk about COVID ever because it's doing well for us. Yeah. However, it's just so many other stories that's bigger that we can talk about that I just think will be more profitable for the game itself, for the fans itself, for the listeners, the watchers, whatever have you. That we we got to stop turning everything into a COVID conversation. You know what I'm saying? Like, the Lakers got, like, six future Hall of Famers on the team. And we're sitting here talking about, hey, LeBron, what do you think about so-and-so getting the back? Let's talk about yeah, I, the- yeah, I, in regards In regards to the media just making this the front and center issue, like, that's a that's just another example of just the uh, the lack of a functioning media in this country that just – this this is the this is basketball. This is the NBA, and I com- completely agree with what you're saying. Like, let's talk about let's talk about something that matters. Let's talk about the Bucks coming out here and defending this title. Let's talk about the you know the Nets big three. Let's talk about Philly and you know what there is. Can they get Ben Simmons back in the fold? You know, th- these are some of the things we should be looking at. And it's su- such a smart point you brought up about Caldwell Pope. That's something I wouldn't even think about. But you know, you think about a guy like a guy on probation that couldn't play. Uh, you know, whatever certain games he couldn't leave the state or something was happening. And I don't remember that being um, as big a deal as this is right now, which is odd because I don't remember what the situation was, but it was, it was something criminal. It was some, some law breaking that I guess happened. I don't remember everything that, that went on, but this is completely different and way less of a big deal in my opinion and i did find that quote by the way from a western conference head athletic trainer of course it'd be the western conference it's probably some california nut job people want to draw it as a personal health decision but it's not it's a public health decision drink that's the type of quote that if this was not a family program i'd be raising holy hell right now because that that's just and that's just one of those things that like you shouldn't allow that quote to stand if you're um, a member of the media, and you're writing this story. Who, matter of fact, who wrote this story? Let me go up top. Oh, Mr. Oh, Baxter Holmes. Yeah, Mr. Holmes. Where was the follow-up question there? Because I'd like an explanation on that one. How do you, tell me why that an individual, me or you or Andrew Wiggins or whoever it may be, their decision on getting the, the vaccine is a public health choice. I, I would like to know. That's something that we should demand answers on. We now move on to the world of college football, where it wasn't the uh, the biggest weekend as far as ranked on ranked action, but we did have uh, two. We had a big noon contest where you saw Notre Dame defeat 
Uh, Wisconsin, 41-13, I believe they had 31 points in the, the fourth quarter of that one in the <laughs> the Jack Cone revenge game, as I've heard it referred to. And then you had um big win by uh, Arkansas as they continue to, uh, you know, on their mission to show that they're for real as they take down Texas A&M. I believe that one was 20-10. to Another action in the end of the primetime time slot on ABC you had Oklahoma win a nail biter. They beat West Virginia 16-13 on a late field goal. And then one of the major upsets of the day, NC State defeats Clemson 27-21. More trouble for the ACC. Drink, what uh, what stood out to you on this uh, weekend of college football? So let's go ahead and open up with something we was talking about at the end of the show on Saturday. Where do we put Wisconsin now? Because remember we was talking about, oh, Wisconsin going to get that game later in the year. I, I forgot, was it against Iowa? I think it was against Iowa that we was talking about. And it, we was like, yo, that game going to let us know something. No, oh, we're Michigan. talking, we're talking Michigan, yeah. It was Michigan, Michigan, okay. And we was like, that game going to let us know something when Michigan play Wisconsin. And what I say? If they lose to Notre Dame, I don't know yeah. about all that. Right. And and yeah. now I'm just like, I don't know about all that. Like, Wisconsin had two cracks at two ranked teams at a primetime location, and they have not performed 13 points? And then how many points did they have against Penn State in week one? Like – not a lot. I, I, I don't want to hear nothing else about Wisconsin. <laughs> we, we done with that boat. We done with that boat. So I just want to make sure I say that. I, I don't give a rest. I don't care who else they play. We're done with Wisconsin. Like, even they would have to go out and just blow the doors off. Oh, they already lost to Penn State. So, uh, like I said, and I don't think they beat Iowa either. So that's, I don't, I think Wisconsin is dead in the water. Um, Over to number 12, Notre Dame. I, this game was a, a ranked matchup. Uh, it was played on a neutral site field, um, the Shamrock Classic or whatnot. Um, the Jack Cone, you know, bowl, you know, used to be the quarterback of Wisconsin. They left him for the for the kids, Mercs. So they sent him to pack into the transfer portal. And he ended up in Notre Dame where he takes over for the incumbent in book. Um, and um, this, okay. I, I I, I don't feel no different about no. Let me tell you something. I would. I'm. I'm dying to see the result of Notre Dame versus Cincinnati now, because I think that result would be a better result than what I seen in Wisconsin. Wisconsin can't score the ball. They cannot score the ball no. on any team that matters. Yeah, if they playing Southern Connecticut State, yeah, yeah, okay, they they could probably <laughs> throw a seven on them. But when they come back down to Division One to actually play a team. This is what you get, 13 points. So I don't want to hear anything else about the Badger hype. I'm, I'm done with that. Arkansas and Texas A&M. Um, Arkansas fans, I owe you an apology. I, I really didn't think. I, I thought Texas A&M recruited well enough. Um, I thought they was Jimbo Fisher was kind of get, catching his stride as a coach, an SEC coach. And I really felt like Texas A&M was going to have a little too much talent, a little too much depth to win this game. Boy, was I wrong, because that quarterback for Texas A&M sucks. Oh, my God. He was awful. I mean, yo, for all the talent they got around this kid, I mean, the offensive line didn't blow you away. But, I mean, golly, you got a stable of running backs. You got some wide receivers, a Nye Smith, et cetera. And Jimbo, you lose one quarterback and you going to get the water, boy? Like, I don't, that guy was, holy crap. 
Texas A and M in real trouble, folks. I mean, if it weren't for their defensive line, this game could have got out of control. It really could have. That defensive line kept them in there. Cause that offense ain't listen, I'm sorry. I ain't gonna say that offense ain't it. That quarterback ain't it. And that offensive line ain't it. Um, but to Arkansas's credit, let me tell you what is it. Their physicality. Arkansas has been one of the most physical teams in the SEC as of up to this point. Texas got the smoke, and now Texas. Arkansas about to be walking around Texas like, hey, what's up, TCU? You want some too? Like, they, just, they, they out here, they might just own the whole state of Texas by the time the season is over. Um, but a great, great win by Arkansas. Um, great win by Sam Pittman. Arkansas is for real. They're a top 10 team now. Now they got, they, you know, we're going to get into that on Friday. <laughs> they got they got some real deal coming up on, on, on the schedule on, on Saturday. But, you know, kudos to them. I, I, I think Arkansas is probably the Right now, probably the fourth best team in the SEC. I got to put them behind Alabama and Georgia, of course. I don't know if they quite if they could quite beat Florida right now. Um, I think I had to put Florida in front of them. But everybody else is free game. That's free game, everybody else. I think Arkansas going to hand out L's to everybody else in the SEC um, outside of those three teams. But, listen, uh, that was a great game. I, I thought physically-wise it, it lived up to the hype. But, holy, Jimbo Fisher. Man, you better hit that transfer portal. I mean, I guess you couldn't you couldn't get a quarterback to play right now, even if you wanted to. But God, God Almighty. Um, and then number four, Oklahoma and West Virginia. Uh, I gotta come up to let me let me go ahead and come up to the realization. Um, Oklahoma is just not good. Spencer Rattler, um, this guy for all this high as my hype. I haven't seen a damn thing yet out of him. They, they, it seems like the Oklahoma fans are clamoring for Caleb Williams, the, the, the number one uh, overall recruit from the last cycle. But I would say this, Oklahoma fans, do you not think Lincoln Riley know what he's doing? I mean, the guy had three straight Heisman finalist quarterbacks, two of which won. I think he know what he's doing. I think it's a reason why Caleb Williams is not playing over Spencer Rattler, even though I'm not enamored with Spencer Rattler either. But I do think Lincoln Riley, for everything I'd have said about, you know, him coaching in the bright lights, I do think he's smart enough to know which quarterback should be starting. So, let me throw that out there. NC State and Clemson. Jay, is it about time we go ahead and say, yeah, Clemson, um, that, 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 the, the old heyday of them being challengers to Alabama, that, that's, that's done this year, right? At least this year, that's done. I think we can definitely put that on hold for right now because they're done. They're um, done for this season. And and with with that said, and my overall arching point, uh, I want to tie this into when I watch Clemson lose and watch I watch Oklahoma struggle and I watch you know all these teams that's supposed to be the next coming after Alabama, and yet it's still Alabama and still Alabama. You got to put some respect on nickname, man. It's hard to do this year in and year out. Let me tell you something. Clemson is what you would call, you would characterize as a bad team this year. Give me the last time you characterized Alabama since Nick Saban been there a bad team. Like, bad. Not even in the top 25, bad. I don't think, I don't think that's, I don't remember that being the case since Nick Saban's been there. I mean, it's two years that you could probably stick out 
like 2011 when we played like Michigan State in the on- Capital One Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. That that season, that's not even a bad season because I think we was like 10 and two or 10 and three. But that season, and then um, what two years ago, 2019, when we ended up playing Michigan in the um, Verbio Bowl, that was considered a bad season for Bama. We ten and two. Yeah, so, I think I think your larger point that I would say is like you don't see Alabama lose games against you know average to barely above average football teams in the SEC. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, this Clemson losing to NC State would be like. Alabama losing to Tennessee. Okay. Yes. So, you know, and I, yeah, you get what I'm saying? Or Mississippi state at this particular point that, you know, they're kind of a little less on, on par with what we're seeing, but I think you're right. And this this is something I remember. And I know you remember it very well when Clemson beat Alabama 44, 16, I believe it was when uh, in Trevor Lawrence's freshman year, that was considered like, Oh, this this is the beginning of the end. We're gonna see Clemson rise up and take over. Right. That just that just hasn't happened. It's been you know, and I hope people people who said that should like they should like look at they should find a mirror and just take a good hard look because they they got that one absolutely wrong. And I thought it was, I think I've been fairly consistent because I thought that was just overplayed and drawn out and just 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 a overall bad take. Um, and you know Alabama's you know they've came back. With a, with a vengeance, um, won the title last year, and drink. They appear to be they appear to be the best team in football uh, in college football right now. It looks like Georgia is no no doubt clearly the second best team. But after that, I think there's I think there's a significant gap right now between Bama and Georgia. And I think after Georgia, there's a there's a huge margin. I think those are your two best teams. I don't think there's any question about it. Um, and just in regards to what happened this weekend. Um, yeah, Wisconsin. Go ahead and fold them up and uh, put them in the put them in the closet because that's about it. I don't and I, I I'm not pleased about this because I like Wisconsin. I like their program. I like the way they go about their business. Very physical football team. I think Paul Chris is a good coach. But it, it just it just ain't working out this year. And now we unfortunately we are going to have to put on hold whether we think Michigan is good or not because either way, no matter what happens next week. And by the way, they weren't that great against Rutgers. They beat Rutgers by like what a touchdown. So. They go to question marks already written. But if you if you beat Wisconsin, like we said last week, if you beat Wisconsin and they lost to Notre Dame and they didn't just lose, they got beat down. So if they beat Wisconsin, yeah, we still gonna have some question marks. But if you lose, then we're just gonna be like, oh, pull the fire alarm on Michigan. They not real. Um, Arkansas, gotta gotta take your hats off to them. Uh, that was a little bit of a point of contention, I think, on last week's show. I know you were pretty uh I know you felt good about Texas A&M and I think, you know, rightfully so, rightfully so considering, you know, the way they're able to recruit and you felt like that, you know, if you got, you know, a backup quarterback, well, so what you got all this great talent around him, surely you can overcome that. I just think, I think Arkansas, you got to give them a lot of credit, even though it was against the backup quarterback. Um, I think you had them, you got them pegged about right, maybe about fourth in there. Maybe Ole Miss and them kind of along uh, alongside each other as of right now. Yeah, I put, but I put the but the man, the SEC SEC's fun right now. You got what is that? I'm looking at what five teams in the top twelve, maybe. Yeah, you got five, te- four in the top ten, and you have Ole Miss sitting at twelve. A and M still at fifteen. Auburn still, you know, with the back end of the top twenty five. So the SEC's, I mean, definitely on the strength of their the top half of their conference. But they're uh, you know they're outperforming everybody right now. In regard, in regards to some of the other action you mentioned, yeah, you say Oklahoma's not good. 
they're not they're not that impressive. That, that's that's how I define it. I mean, when you look at a team that's been carrying the water for the Big Twelve for the past several years, they seemingly slide into the fourth spot of the college football playoff um, most of the time. This ain't gonna get it done, man. I mean, this is just. I mean, you beat. <clears throat> they scored sixteen points. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not West Virginia. And that's not, yeah, that's not that's not Oklahoma football. That's not Big 12 football either. Like, where is since when we start playing defense? You know, what is what is that? Like backed by popular demand. No, not really. I mean, I think most people are comfortable with how the Big 12 plays at this point. But you're just looking at Oklahoma and you say, Oh, you barely beat Tulane. Then you beat some nobody by what you beat them 76 nothing, but no one cares because it was, you know, we don't even know who it was. Uh, it was what was it, Bishop Sycamore or something. Then you have you beat you beat you beat Nebraska, you beat Nebraska by a touchdown, and you beat uh, West Virginia by three. So in the three games where you didn't play a fake high school team, you won by a grand total of what is that, fifteen points? Drink. You need. I mean, you're set. Oklahoma's setting themselves up to where I don't think they'll be able to survive a loss, or else like it'll be tough to get in with a loss because you need those style points when you play in a conference that's a little bit suspect right now, because think about the rest of them. We got Iowa State, a team that was ranked in the top 10. They can't figure their crap out. So they over here, they, they didn't slid out the rankings because they lost to, who did they lose to? I don't think they lost to somebody that was that good either. Oh, they lost, well, they lost to Baylor. But I mean, Baylor was unranked. So, I mean, and the games they, they've won haven't been impressive. So I think I think the Big 12's in a, in a little bit of world trouble. I don't think obviously if Oklahoma wins all their games, they would get in. But I mean, no year in and year out, they all, there's always one game where they like slip up, whether it's against Kansas State, whether it's against you know Iowa State. We don't know who it could be against, but they they don't I'm, appear to be a team that's going to win all their games because they're not playing that well right now. I'm I'm gonna tell you like this though, Oklahoma can go undefeated, but they better hope Notre Dame don't go undefeated. I'm telling you right now. If Notre Dame go undefeated, I got I got a strong chance that Notre Dame gonna get put in the playoffs over the you know big twist. Could be. I think Oklahoma gonna lose a game first and foremost. I think Oklahoma right. got a good chance of losing to Texas. But if they don't, and people they sleeping on Notre Dame. I heard this the other day, and I was like, dang, that's a fact. Notre Dame is an automatic bid team. Like they're not if a conference, win, but if they're you a win team. every game, yeah. If they I go agree. undefeated, they're automatic in. I don't, I don't give a rip how you feel about their schedule. None of that. Notre Dame is just like the SEC and just like the Big Ten, you know, maybe the ACC and the rest of them. But they're just like those conferences where if they go undefeated, gone penciling them in. So teams like Oklahoma and, you know, a couple of other teams that's kind of just flailing around, we got to keep that in mind. Because as Notre you know, Dame keep doing what they're doing, hey, you know, could be you know, some friction. As far and as you know, as far as um, you know, you talk about the Big Twelve not being that impressive. The ACC is by far the most yeah. flatline Power Five conference right now. <laughs> Clemson, Clemson dropped sixteen spots after losing that game. They just packed them into the the top, the twenty fifth spot and said, "Just leave them there. We're putting them at the very end of the line. You play around for another week. We're getting you out of here." And then they threw uh, who they threw. They got NC NC State at twenty three, Wake Forest at twenty four. That's it. They put three ACC teams at the back of the line and said, "That's it. We're not letting anybody else in here." The um, the daggone bouncers about to start throwing people out. Just start trying to keep coming in here. But the, I mean, the ACC just 
is not good right now. The teams that we thought that was good, we got North Carolina getting beat up by Georgia Tech. That's just, I mean, that's a travesty in itself. Clemson can't beat Clemson can't beat NC State. I will say the Atlantic appears to be a little bit better than we thought it was. You have NC State, you have Wake Forest. They look kind of they look pretty good right now. Boston College is undefeated. Don't want to, you know, we'll see how they do once again in conference play. But I think the ACC by far is the biggest loser among conferences right now. All right, so you you know we at the end of the show, rapid reactions, a whole lot of topics, a little bit of time. Jay, the floor is yours. All right, Dallas Mavericks coach Jason Kidd says he wants point guard Luka Doncic to rely on his teammates more this season. Should that be Luka's biggest priority this year, or is there something else you think he should work on? Um, listen, how about you get him a teammate for him to rely on? Like, what what is that? Hey, <laughs> man, rely on your teammates more. Who am I relying on? Porzingis? Tim Hardaway Jr.? Like, what? yo, give me somebody to rely on is what I'm thinking. But, um, <laughs> no, I, I just feel like he needs somebody to rely on. Like, I, um, Jason Kidd, like, what are we doing here? Unless you about to tell me Porzingis about to raise up out the ground like the Undertaker and roll that game back to what we used to see. I mean, get him somebody, man. He needs some help is what he needs. Florida State coach Mike Novell defends his team after that. 0-4 start and said he would not compromise his standards for his players or the program. What are your reactions to what Novell had said? I don't think I don't think it is defensible for how Florida State is playing right now. I mean, after giving us a little tease against Notre Dame in week one, they have been a complete joke. You lose to Jacksonville State, you're getting blown out by Wake Forest. I don't even know. They lost to something. They just I mean, you can't you can't you gotta win some games at some point. I mean, it's just not acceptable to what do you what do you have two wins last year and now he's I don't know just throwing a two and eleven so far that's um you know people people was like giving Willie Taggart all kind of grief for how the program looked under him you got another coach in here and they even they even worse somehow so I don't think it is defensible and it, it's just it's it's not acceptable for that program with that prestige that they've got. More trouble in the Sunshine State as Miami coach Manny Diaz defended the Hurricane administration after ESPN analyst Kurt Herbstreit questioned the university's commitment to football on Saturday's college game day. You think Herbstreit's criticism was fair? Yes, absolutely. Like, I'm with Kurt Herbstreit. What, what is Miami doing? Uh, why do we give Miami <laughs> all this airtime? Why do we give Miami all of this hype? We it's talk the about the chain. The you. The you. The you ain't did nothing in forever, they need to change it to the F because that's what they're getting on their report cards here lately. Fs, E's, or whatever the part of the United States you're from. I'm, I'm with Hershey. I I'm, I'm really am. Like, what are we doing here? Like, yo, you riding the gravy train out here. You know what? Not only was this criticism fair, it was fair with the gravy on it. It was 100% accurate. We tired of Miami flopping around here, living off old laurels. Living off, um, um, was Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and, and Jimmy Johnson and, and Larry Coker and and the likes of that. Like, do something, Miami. So I'm with her street. Yo, I'm tired. They just out here wasting time, man. I'm about to send y'all over there with UCF or something, man. Get out of here. The Greek freak is looking to maintain his proverbial chip on his shoulder as he told the media. He and his team are no closer to satisfied as they look to defend their 2020-2021 NBA title. Is that the attitude you like to see, Jay? 
Absolutely. And, you know, you definitely can't, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out on the court, but from a, a standpoint of like saying the right things, I think that's absolutely the right approach to have. And of course it, it's, it's somewhat helpful when it's your best player taking the, taking the lead out there and saying, look, we know what we accomplished last year, but by no, but no, by no means are we like, you know, going to get complacent and we got a lot more that we'd like to accomplish. I, I love to see that. Bears coach Matt Nagy says all three of his quarterbacks are being considered for Sunday start against the Lions. I'm going to say that's probably not the best position to be in. What do you think, Drink? What? What are we doing out here? You just can't name a starter in the back? Like, hey, all three. You sound like old Sarayani down there with the Eagles. You see how they're working out for him? Like, what are we doing? Like, just name your starter in your bag up. And if that other guy gets in, he gets in. But it's no need to be all three quarterbacks. No, they're not. No, no. You got Justin Fields that's that's playing shaky. You're a little worried about it. So that's why you got Andy Dalton. I don't give a rip what I think is is Nick Foles. Is that the yes. third guy? You can miss me with that. You can miss me with Nick Foles, baby. I don't want to. Nick, <laughs> Nick who? No. It needs to be clear cut. Either you're going with Justin Fields or you're going with Andy Dalton. Nick Foles can go back to the couch. He's only there for this moment right here to give us something to talk about. That's why he's there. <laughs> but for Mac Nagins to say something crazy and say, I got three quarterbacks and they all started caliber, I don't know which one I'm going with. Let me tell you something. If you if you go with Nick Foles, you're going to be right next to Doug Peterson. Keep it up, Mac Nagin. Keep Keep it up. You're going to be right next to Doug Peterson. Wonder why the hell he ran that play he ran in his last game for Philly. Shohan Otani continues his special season with seven innings pitch of one-run ball. But the Angels lost their 82nd game, clinching the team's sixth consecutive season. Oh, After the game, season, my bad. Oh, I'm sorry. That's uh, clinching the team's sixth consecutive <laughs> losing season. After the game, Otani was asked if he wanted to stay with the Angels long-term. What did you think of what he had to say? Well, he's pretty diplomatic, you know, complimenting that, you know, he likes the organization, likes the team. But at the very end, he said, yeah, I want to win. And this is, you talk about six consecutive losing seasons. He's been there for four of them now. And I just think you have a situation where you have guys that are, you know, great players that, I mean, they at some point you got to, they want to prioritize winning. They don't get to play forever. So I think the Angels, it's, um, it's imperative that in this offseason, they figure out like a way to, upgrade this pitching staff once and for all would be great because um, Otani can't do it all. He can't hit pitch and do every, all those things five days in a row. Uh, and not only this, don't forget about Otani, but you also got Mike Trout. Mike Trout probably a little sick of losing too. So I think it, at some point, you know, the next couple of seasons, if the angels continue to, you know, slide off the proverbial cliff, you might see a situation where both of them are playing elsewhere. The 2022 Shamrock Series will feature Notre Dame and BYU at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas on October 8th of next year. Is that a game you think you'll be tuned in for? Possibly. I, I, I've i got a strong feeling by the time you say October 8th, I got a feeling that both of these teams will begin the season ranked next year. And I got a chance by the time we get to October, these, both of these teams will be ranked. And if so, why not? You know, why not? Uh, you know, BYU, if they can come and give us something to watch, uh, why not? You know what I'm saying? I, I try not to, um, you know, d discriminate against, you know, ranked teams. If they rank, they rank, whatever. As long as they're not playing on the app, why not tune into it, right? I mean, if they on ESPN+, Plus, well, it's Notre Dame, so they're not going to be on the app. But if they were, that would be the only way I wouldn't watch it, I, I guess. 
The Lions have released linebacker Jamie Collison after he was unable to find a trade partner for the nine-year veteran. Any ideas where he might land? I like to see Denver make a run at him. Uh, they lost uh, one of their inside lab- linebackers, Josie Jewell, to uh, IR for uh, injury he suffered. Um, so I, I think a guy, you plug him in that 3-4 system with Vic Fangio, I think he's a, a perfect guy you can plug in there. He can do a lot of things. He's a great coverage linebacker. I think he'd be a great compliment to what they have with uh, Alexander Johnson on the inside. Denver Nuggets and rising star Michael Porter Jr. have agreed to terms on a five-year, $207 million extension, max extension. Do you think he'll perform up to that contract? So here's what I do I want to throw. I said this earlier in the show. I'm going to say it again. The Nets, the Lakers, and Golden State, and now the Denver Nuggets are the only four teams in the NBA that have three max players on a team. Why do I repeat that? Because we all, we all think the Nets, championship-level team. We think the Lakers went healthy, championship-level team. We're waiting to see if Golden State going to come back in the mix, but we, we think they're going to be in the mix. So now that tells me the Nuggets should be in the mix. I do think he, he has the talent to, to live up to this contract, but it's going to be a lot of pressure now. It's going to be way more pressure than the Nuggets have been dealing with. Because now you're re- reaching the upper echelon. But to answer the question, I do think he, he has the talent to. I, I want to see if he's going to have the mental capacity to now that he's getting paid all this money and it's going to come with the expectation. Last one. We got the Bengals. We got the Jaguars. Thursday night football. Who you got, Jay? Who you got? I'm particularly confident in either football team, but I'm way less confident in Jacksonville. I mean, new coach, new quarterback, but unfortunately it looked like the same old Jaguars. With that in mind, I'll take the Bengals. I think they continue to improve upon it. It was a pretty impressive start. They'll be three and one after Thursday night. And that concludes tonight's episode of A Drink of Wisdom. As always, like, listen, share, subscribe. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jay Watts. And I'm Nate the Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we gonna do. We gonna holler at you until next time, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a drink of wisdom.